Welcome to Faithful Innovation. I'm Tina Jason. I love learning about the way God's love motivates how people serve the world. Hearing authentic personal stories deepens my understanding of how God transforms regular work and everyday encounters into acts of grace. Join me as I seek out ordinary people in cities, suburbs, small towns, and rural places who are doing extraordinary things. The goal? To inspire a wholesome expression of faith in your life, ministry, or business. Nate, thanks so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Uh, as we get started, I just wondered if you would share your faith background growing up. Yeah, I'd be happy to. I was raised in a, a Christian home with two parents. You know, went to church as often as I remember and as young as I can remember. And, you know, the Sunday school classes and going through a, a confirmation class in fifth grade and understanding the, the stories of, of Jesus and who he was and then being asked in front of the whole congregation, you know, who Jesus is, you know, he's the, the Christ, the son of the living God, and, uh, and being baptized in front of the whole congregation. And, you know, that, that journey took off very, very slowly. Um, I, probably, I probably understood my need for Jesus, though, in about seventh or eighth grade, I think. <laughs> you know, so it was, it was kind of rote up to that point, but, uh, but obviously the background, um, the stories were, were incredibly important, and the examples in front of me were important. But uh, it was at a Fellowship of Christian Athletes camp, summer, either seventh or eighth grade, I can't remember. You know, the, the college athletes there uh, impressed upon us our need for Jesus, and that was at the point where I, I understood my sinfulness, I guess, and how that was dealt with with Jesus. At that point, from then on through high school, I, I had a faith um, that wasn't super active. I, I met my high school sweetheart during that time, and we got married. And when we had our first child, that's when it really hit home that, that we needed to, and I, well, both of us at the same time, needed to live a life that was worthy of what uh, Jesus had done for us. And so we, we uh, recommitted, rededicated our lives at the same time at that point. From then on, I shouldn't say downhill, it's been a, it's a, a good ride. How's that? <laughs> a deepening ride, too, which is really fun. Yeah. So you and I met in a coaching group and that we did online. And yes. I was so intrigued about what you do. You have a, a nonprofit business, I guess I would yes. call it, a nonprofit okay. organization called Blue Heron right. Ministries. Tell us about that and what led you into that. Well, as you mentioned, it's a nonprofit uh, Christian organization. It is a, uh, a conservation organization. Stewardship of Creation is, is our banner. Um, it is also a, an official, a subsidiary ministry of a local church uh, here in our, in our town. Oddly enough, not the church that I attend, <laughs> it just happened to be the pastor of that local church. And I developed a real strong line of communication years ago, and, and he invited me into a yet-to-be-determined environmental ministry for his congregation. And, <laughs> and I was given carte blanche, took on the directorship role of that. And uh, that was in 2001, I guess, officially that we, that we started that. Describe what you do in Blue Heron Ministries. It's an opportunity for folks to apply the principles of restoration ecology to be stewards of God's creation within the context of community. In the community, there are two forms of community that, uh, that happen. 
at Blue Heron Ministries. One is it is run similar to a business in that we have full-time staff. The projects that we work on, which are uh, restoration projects, pay the bills. Uh, so it's like a tent-making ministry, so to speak, for that Paul says. But it allows us the opportunity to speak to the larger picture of, of creation care and stewardship and the big picture of what are what are um, Heavenly Father is doing to make things new. But then we, the other part of the community is that we involve folks on a volunteer basis as well and, and help them understand you know, the beauty of creation, the complexity of, of the ecosystems in our area, and that we get the other also to do uh, stewardship projects, restoration projects. Mm-hmm. How and, do the projects come about? The projects come about like any business where, you know, my job as director is to go find work through connections with private landowners or park systems or state natural resource departments or other uh, land trust organizations, other conservation organizations who own land, developing relationship with those folks and letting them know of our, our skills and our abilities to actually take care of, of the land and then finding out what their needs are uh, for their landscapes and then uh, developing plans to and a, a cost estimate and, and a proposal uh, to work on the properties over a, a period of time to meet their management objectives uh, for their land. And your volunteers, how do they come to you? Uh, the volunteers, first of all, they're very loyal, which is really nice. And you know, we've been doing this, like I said, for 16 years, and we've had some of the same volunteers uh, from the from the get-go. And uh, some of those show up. Um, I get to because we're considered a, a religious organization. That's how we, through the state of Indiana, we have to register, and we're registered as a as a religious entity. And so I get to talk about my faith background, and then the the how Blue Heron Ministries fits into into this and into God's uh, big picture. And so I, I have opportunities to speak to uh, garden clubs and schools and service organizations in the community, written newspaper articles and uh, newsletters. And so the word gets out of this unique opportunity and people say, hey, you know, what, what do you have going? And so we put out a newsletter that has a calendar of events and you know, this is coming up. So every, every month we have something to do. And by word of mouth, then people say, this is a great opportunity and let's get together. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, that, and it's not all works. A lot of it are field trips, too. We go look at some of the natural areas, the very things that we are look at as models for our, our restoration projects. Mm-hmm. What does a commitment of a volunteer look like? Is that a day? Is it a longer period of time? Um, it depends, depends on the project. So, so, And there's no real commitment to it. it we'll, we'll throw out a, a project. Uh, this is going to be a, a day-long project, maybe you know six hours, and people can come and go during that time event. They keep coming back, which is a neat thing. Uh, we have you know volunteers right now. Currently, we, we just purchased a, a small piece of property with a, a garage on it so we can have um, space for equipment. <laughs> yeah. uh, we have some volunteers that are working on the interior of the building to insulate it, for example, and they've been working on it for a couple of weeks now. People also do things independently. We, we do a lot of seed collection for our restoration projects. We, we collect mm-hmm. seed of the species of plants that we want to propagate and uh, regenerate our projects. And our, the highlights of our volunteer activities is in the fall, in, in October, for example. Every single Saturday, uh, we get together. You know, we make the announcement. We're going to go collect seed at such and such natural area come along with us and do that. And then there are people who want to collect in addition to that. And so I'll say, hey, Nate, what can I, what can I go do? What can I collect? And I'll 
I'll send them on a wild goose chase and with a map and, and a, you know, this is what we're going after. And, and they do it on their own. So the, the volunteer aspect of it is, is quite varied and the projects are quite varied, but mm-hmm. uh, it's fun getting together to, to do that. And it seems like it would accommodate people of all ages too. It does. And that's the fun thing. It's, it's, it's for families. We have little kids, kids that don't get out very often, get to run around in the, in the wild and not worry about getting lost, you know, and their parents are happy to let them run. But what's really interesting is we get kids also from families who have learning disabilities, for example. They may be homeschooled or whatever, and, and uh, this is an outlet for them to, to release energy and, and they, just, they just have fun being outside, running around. And they may not get a whole lot of work done, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just fun that you know, the parents can come along and, and let their kids go and, and uh, mm-hmm. not, not worry about them. Enjoy, enjoy creation. So I like it. I'm always intrigued how organizations begin and how they take shape. And so I'd like you to go back to that very beginning. And what was the inspiration behind the whole concept? I'm imagining maybe what developed is different than where the starting point was. For me, it started with a vision or a dream that was very unreal, very mystical. It's one of my favorite stories. I was, I was working as a landscape architect in a consulting firm in, in Fort Wayne, Indiana, was monitoring of a construction project. And the construction project was restoration of a, a low dune off the coast of Lake Michigan. <laughs> and, you know, the bulldozers were out there moving sand and creating a low dune in the valley or, or swale that was left over is going to be a, a wetland. As the bulldozers were moving around in, in a late November afternoon, I took a rest on this remnant low dune. And, and the sun in late November is, in the afternoon, is a, a neat orangish yellow color. It's a different kind of light than in the summertime. It was late afternoon. I was, I was sitting on this low dune. I was surrounded by this grass, this native grass called little blue stem. And in the fall, this grass has a fall color of its own. It's a kind of a, a tawny color, kind of a, almost a russet tawny color. And um, I was facing the sun. This grass, this little blue stem is short grass, about waist high or so. The seeds of this grass are very hairy. As the sun was low in the sky, it, it kind of sparkled. As the sun refracted off the hairs on the, you know, the seed, you know, it kind of sparkled a little bit. And then the wind picked up. And the whole thing, the whole scenery just kind of moved back and forth, swayed in the wind. And, the, and there's just a billion sparkles that were just shimmering all over the place and moving. In it. And at that moment, I, was, I saw glory, you know. I was immersed in all of creation at that moment. That's all I could see was just, you know, the, these grasses. All of creation at that moment was worshiping its creator. And uh, I was overwhelmed by it. I said, wow, I, I get to be a part of, of un- understanding the glory of all creation and their, their response to their creator. And I said, you know, if I can see this, if I can sense this, I wonder if other people can as well, to be able to see uh, the creator through his creation. And, and from that point on, um, I began looking at opportunities to see how that I might be able to flesh this out, um, how I might be able to restore creation such that people can see the glory of, of, of God in it. And so that, from then on, you know, it was, uh, it took years, uh, actually, to, to see that dream fulfilled and was, I think, seven years later, uh, yeah, before Blue Heron Ministries was birthed. But that was, that was the dream, the vision uh, that started it. You know, if we can, we can restore and maintain these, these remnants, 
um, and use them as models to uh, to build new ones, to, to uh, restore creation and allow people to see that beauty and experience that beauty, then Psalm 19, I think it is. Heavens proclaim the glory of God and the sky shows forth his craftsmanship. Yeah, day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound of word and their voices never heard. And yet their message goes throughout the earth and their words to all the world. And then it goes on in that same Psalm to talk about the word of God. So it's a, it's a twin revelation of God, one in his word and one in his creation. And so, it, and, and all creation reveals who its creator is. If we can uh, let people see that aspect of it it just it enhances their understanding of of scripture basically and who who god is i can just as you described it i can just imagine what that looked like and it's making me recall a time i was walking we have a lot of maple trees here in maryland Mm -hmm. and i was walking in an area where there were a lot of trees and those beautiful golden leaves were all laying on the ground and the Mm -hmm. wind kicked up and just a whole swell of yellow leaves picked up off the ground and swirled around. Right, right. And it was that, I can imagine that moment you were describing where the wind is swaying the top of the grasses and there's those seeds glittering in the sunlight when it's low on the horizon like that in the late afternoon. How beautiful that is, that imagery. As you were talking, I had goosebumps thinking, <laughs> you know, I could, I could just imagine what you were saying. Sometimes there's those moments when you know the Holy is spoken and you get... Absolutely. You really get an idea or that vision of what could be, and yet you talk about seven years that took you to realize Mm -hmm. that idea that God planted in your heart that day. Right. And so how did you get from that day? What took place in seven years? You can give us the Reader's Digest version. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Um, (laughs) You know what happened? Um, Submission Hmm. um, and, and patience. And the Reader's Digest version is that I had presented an idea to my then boss. I wanted to do it under him. Um, Amy and I, my wife and I bought land and we actually started a native seed nursery where we collected seed and planted them into beds and collect that seed for future projects. And so I was moving along, but the doors kept shutting for my own to do it on, on my own. I finally gave up the dream of doing it on my own to be a business, so to speak, um, a for-profit business. And I was even asked by my former boss if I would be his partner in his business. And I said no, because I, I knew for me I was, it was going to be mine someday. But when I turned that down, I basically killed the dream. I didn't see where it could go by myself. Financially, we just weren't ready to, to go off on, on our own. So I, I submitted to his authority and to his leadership, let him run with the very idea that, that I wanted. I gave it to him and let him run with it. The interesting thing that fell in line was I was invited by a local land trust, local conservation organization, to be a live-in caretaker on one of the nature preserves in our area. Amy and I moved our family to this nature preserve, lived in a kind of a rustic cabin. And, but the neat thing it was, we sold the land and the house that we had purchased to start our dream. We got out of debt and we did not have to pay anything to live as stewards on this nature preserve. So we were debt-free, didn't have anything to lose, and we could start a nonprofit organization where there's no money anyway, you know, and, and, uh, and just make a go of it. During that seven years, it was a matter of submission, waiting patiently for the right opportunity, and finally God 
resurrecting that dream and said, hey, but no, Nate, we're, this is not going to be a business. Um, this is not going to be the way you're, you want to do it. This is the way I want to do it. And so that's when the idea came about being a, a nonprofit organization. So then being a, a religious organization, <laughs> and, you know, that wasn't in the, that wasn't in the cards originally, you know, that's what I understood our father wanted for this whole big picture then. And so, so yeah, it was uh, submission and patience and waiting on him and letting, allowing him to resurrect the dead dream that I had. Mm-hmm. Now you talked about partnering with this other congregation who came alongside, how did that church catch the vision for what was growing in your heart? <laughs> Interestingly, the, the pastor who I did not know had written a, an article in our local newspaper and uh, he'd just gotten back from a sabbatical over in Scotland. He got back and wrote this article about how he saw the glory of God in creation. And I had never heard of a pastor say anything about that before. And I said, I've got to meet this guy. I think we might have something in common. <laughs> and he graciously obliged to meet me one Saturday morning. And that was in August, I think. And, and we, on a very, very regular basis, I don't remember how often now, but it was more than once a month from there through December, we would meet on a Saturday morning and we just bounce off theological ideas. He wanted to make sure that I was kosher with him and I and, and me with, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, we dialogue on what it meant to understand who God was and who Christ was, who Jesus was, who the spirit was in relationship to creation and, uh, and taking care of it. Finally, one, uh, one Saturday morning in December, he, he uh, said, I want you to meet somebody. And he brought in one of the other members of the congregation and we met and, and they stepped out of the room. And I talked about the, you know, the, the kind of the dream, the vision of what I thought might happen. And they stepped out of the room. They came back in and said, Nate, uh, we'd like you to be the director of our environmental organization or environmental ministry here at, at the church. And I said, I did not know you had one. Well, we don't, but we've always wanted one. And, and you're, if you would be the director, that'd be great. And so, <laughs> so, okay. And so we had, I think, a month to, there was going to be a, a board of sessions at the Presbyterian Church. We want to approve it then. So you got you to come up with a, a plan and a name and all that kind of stuff. So we did. We came up with the name Blue Heron Ministries as a, an icon. Uh, for our countryside here, it's uh, filled with lots of lakes and wetlands, and, and blue heron is a is an image that lots of people understand as being you know indicative of Northeast Indiana. And so we came up with that name and the plan, and Board of Sessions approved it, and we were off and running. What I didn't have was a way to make money. <laughs> we just knew what what we wanted to do, and that's how you know. I guess, and there were other folks who came along during that time period as well, prior to meeting Tom Smith, this pastor, and, and I'd, I'd bounced business ideas off folks, and it just wasn't going anywhere. But when it became a, when it became a ministry, that's when, that's when it took off. Hmm. In the times that you've been discouraged, what kept you moving forward? Well, a couple of things. One, my wife, Amy, has, has believed in this from the get-go, which is very, very helpful to be on the same page. She doesn't participate much in, in what's going on. You know, she was the one who encouraged us to become caretakers of the, the nature preserve and knew what that meant, even though it was quite an adventure for her <laughs> to live in this cabin. Um, things were, were slow in the beginning. You know, she, she believed in it, believed in me, and thought we could make a go of it. The other thing was just hanging on to the original vision, right? The dream from God, but then also keeping in mind how this concept um, fits into what God is doing. So hanging on to something bigger than, than what I am is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. What have you learned about God in the journey? 
what I've learned is that he loves deeply his creation, including us. <laughs> you know, that's, I guess that's the interesting thing. We, we typically think it's all about us, but really it's about everything that he has made. He created this earth for us to live in, but, but everything that he created is important to him. So that, you know, I, I learned that. And, and not only, he created everything good, he created everything in right relationship, and then we messed it up um, in our rebellion, but he never gave up. He, he had, had a plan to restore it, to redeem it all along, which I don't understand. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, so he sent Jesus to bring about his kingdom. Jesus died and was raised. It wasn't just for you and me. It was for its entire creation. It goes on beyond that. In Acts, I think, chapter 3, verse 21, I think it is. It talks about, you know, Jesus must remain in heaven until the restoration of all things. And we know that he's going to return. He's not going to return to judge things. But when he judges it, that means he's going to make it all right again. And I love that concept about God, uh, that, that his judgment, it means he's going to make it right. And we don't have to fear his judgment if we're on his side, we understand his story and, and believe in it. And then the picture in Revelation, you know, of a, a new heaven and a new earth, you know, the, the end is not the end, right? He makes all things new. He doesn't make all new things. He makes all things new. And uh, that restoration, that is a reflection of his resurrection. Then looking forward to the, to the new heavens and the new earth, when things can be right again. The home of righteousness, right? The home of righteousness where it dwells. So that's, that's what I've learned about God is his big picture and how we fit into it as, as people. I came across uh, a verse this week that said he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. <laughs> yes. And I had always processed what came before and after that particular phrase. But on Monday's reading, that was the phrase that really jumped out to me. He is kind mm -hmm. to the ungrateful and the wicked. And, yeah. you know, you think about the, all the brokenness and mm -hmm. uh, the fact that they could just zap us at any moment. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, there's continued provision and continued yes. restoration and a redeeming of people, a redeeming of the land, all those kind of things. And to be able to see it play out in such a tangible way as you're working in it and to be able to talk about it from that perspective, right. it right. really just helps people see it. The people who are participating with you, what do mm -hmm. you see them experiencing mm -hmm. in their awareness now of God and creation? My job as director is to continue to paint the big picture and to let them know that what we are doing to restore creation is a, a look back towards Eden when things were right and in the right relationship and a looking forward to a uh, new creation, uh, the new Eden, and showing that, well, here's, here's something really cool as far as painting the big picture. So in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, you know, I love that, that whole chapter about, you know, Paul's talking about um, it's really odd. Verse 58, I think. Everything you do matters. You know, the work that you do matters. And I paraphrase, obviously, but I constantly let folks know that, you know, that their, their work matters and, and that the work they do mirrors the big picture of restoration and creation. Then what they get to do then is through the hands-on craft of, of ecological restoration, they get to actually participate in making some of those changes to the landscape to, to heal it and to restore it. And so they, that there's a, a feeling good about it, but also understanding uh, how they're participating in that whole process. And, it, and you know, the restoration that we, got, that we do isn't perfect, and it won't be until Jesus returns, but uh, the work that we do will not be in vain. Yeah. 
So I pulled open my Bible and verse 58 and and 1 Corinthians 15 reads, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It matters. I love that, Nate. What's the biggest lesson you've learned as a leader in developing an organization and developing people? It's really strange because I, I think the biggest lesson I had to learn was that I am a leader. Um, that's kind of odd. I, I didn't consider that. I, uh, for me, this was just a, a, a passion you know, that I wanted to carry out. I wanted to take care of creation. I wanted to let other people see it. But, I, but, and, but people started coming along because of the, the big picture and the, and the dream. They, they bought into that, so to speak. And so as people come along, it, it, <laughs> this is kind of crazy. You know, we started the organization. I started the organization. And I, I said, I, I don't want to manage people. I want to manage creation. So this is, I'm sorry, this is a little bit of an aside. But what's interesting is a lot of conservation organizations make their money um, through membership dues. And we said right from the beginning that we're not going to manage people. It's not going to be about people. So we're not going to have, we're not going to have membership. <laughs> Our, the way we're going to make money is to actually develop contracts to, uh, with landowners to take care of their property. And uh, so we're going to take care of land rather than take care of people. But as people started coming along, and as we had you know, volunteers come along, as we had staff come along, you know, it became, oh, um, okay, I've got to, I've got to be the leader. I've got to be a leader <laughs> in order to, to get things done. And, but what I found is it's all about relationships, right? And investing in people and so, you know, and caring for people. So that, that indeed has been important in, in the, the whole process. You know, a, a neat story is that, you know, one of, the, one of the volunteers, young lady, does not live in our community, but she found out about Blue Heron Ministries and, and travels oh, 45 minutes or so when we have an activity. She was not a believer. Um, when she started joining us for our activities, we have conversations. And, uh, and as I kind of unfolded the picture of, of uh, where God is in all of this, the stuff that we do together, she understood it. And uh, when I be able to, was able to paint the big picture of God's unfolding story of, of creation and fall and rescue and, and uh, restoration, she understood it. She considers herself a believer now. And then it's, you know, that's, it's just a, a cool thing. We had, a, we had another couple, both of their spouses were deceased and they would come together and they eventually got married. You know, it's just, it's just kind of weird to the relationships that have, that have blossomed in here and then to be able to, to lead that, but lead it with passion and, and compassion, I guess at the same time is, mm-hmm. is important and not understanding that, you know, uh, the other part of compa- leading with compassion is I, I see myself now more, you know, I saw myself as a restorationist at first, uh, but now it is, it's a lot about um, providing enough work for staff so they can feed their families. You know, it's, it's just, it's a whole different way of looking at it. So, you know, learning to care for people, I guess, is, is the important thing mm-hmm. in leadership. <clears throat> I'm hearing a theme of provision all the way through from huh. just a provision of work, provision of staff, provision of funds to support all of that, but then this other provision of people who caught the vision and come mm-hmm. alongside and, and their own service and volunteer work to be part of all of that too. Yeah, yeah. And how the business before didn't take off and yet God kept pointing you in this direction mm-hmm. and look at this beautiful thing that has come about. So I'm wondering, Nate, how all of this has impacted your own faith journey. 
oh my gosh, <laughs> it is, it has firmly rooted itself. Uh, God has firmly rooted himself in, in me. My understanding and, and faith and relationship with, with Jesus has just uh, been incredibly, incredibly strengthened through this whole process. How idea of identity and who we are, um, you know, that, that uh, our father loves us and is very proud of us. And it's not necessarily because of what we are, what we've done, but he loves us and is proud of us even before we do that. And from that, from that identity, then we can go boldly into the kingdom work. Mm -hmm. The scripture that's just ringing in my mind is delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Oh yeah. Yes. yes. And you know, what I hear is God put, planted that desire. It took mm -hmm. a while to figure out how it was going to take shape and step into it. And yet here's this beautiful thing. One of the things I just, when I first got to know you and really just appreciated was how you exercised that aspect of vocation that, mm. you know, God wired you how he wired you and you have an education and background in a particular thing. And we don't think of that necessarily as ministry. Right. And yet it was through that, that he gave you language to be able to communicate so much about him to mm -hmm. all kinds of people. Right. One of the aims of these conversations is just to inspire others who might be feeling a nudge or chewing on a vision that they've had. Mm -hmm. And maybe you're feeling timid about it. How might you speak to that person who feeling that nudge and feeling timid about it? One of the, one of the things that I did early on uh, when I was unsure of where this might go or what it might look like, I, I did a retreat. I'm an introvert by nature anyway. I recharge by myself, but I found that I, you know, I've become a, an extroverted introvert, you know, because I get to, to deal with people more than I thought and, and, and enjoy it. But uh, still, the need to be by myself is important, and I, I, I recharge that way um, daily. During the very beginnings of this, when I was unsure whether this is the way to go, and I was you know, definitely afraid of what, what might this look like and and I, I did a retreat um, I went out into a prairie which is kind of cool because it's the landscapes I wanted to restore uh, the prairie oak ecosystem here in northeast Indiana and I spent a night and a day in a sleeping bag um, <laughs> in the fall and I took a journal with me and I just wrote and listened and wrote and listened pages and pages later I was affirmed I guess uh, that this was the right way to go that affirmation, I guess I was talking about, uh, you know, takes away fear. The other thing, you know, is, is being able to, you know, when you have those, those fears to speak with, with Amy about it and still understand that, it's, you know, she's supportive and, and the reminder that this is good in God's work alleviates fear. Mm -hmm. That space where God really speaks loudest in the quiet when we have space to just really listen. Right. Nate, if somebody listening wanted to get in touch with you, uh, how could they do that? Um, we have a, a website. It's blueheronministries.org. What is the best part about what you do? The best part, gosh, I think being able to be outside and work in creation is, is incredible. But I think the, the word change fits in there. You know, it goes along with, with change of seasons but change of heart as well in people who get it, 
who, who finally, you know, the, the light bulb goes off and, and, and is able to see the things that I saw and to be able to help people vocationally to help make those changes, those positive changes in the landscape and they being able to step back after a season or two and remember what things used to look like and see what they are now. So I guess, you know, um, being able to see change and, and be an instrument in change. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you keep a photographic record of those changes as you work on landscapes? Yeah, we do. We have a project right now, for example, it's a, a three-year contract, a three-year grant, and we set up <laughs> we set up a trail cam in a, in a tree that overlooks the whole project. We've got time-lapse photography going on, I think maybe two shots a day, and, and you take the little card out, and at the end of the year, you, know, you, can, you can run them all together and make a, a movie out of it. <laughs> those, are, those, are, those are really fun. Nate, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, it's been a delightful conversation. I learned lots of stuff. <laughs> thank you, Tina. It's good to talk with you again. It's been a couple of years, but it's been it's good to reconnect with you. Nate has such a deep relationship with God and a spirit of humility in the way he expresses himself. I so appreciate the way he cares for the land for the purpose of preserving and restoring creation. And now, Blue Heron Ministries provides opportunity for others to work alongside him, where Nate can share his perspective, giving those who work with him an occasion to get to know the Creator. With God, the unfolding of a vision often takes time. There were twists and turns in Nate's story, and times when it seemed maybe the vision wouldn't take shape. Then through a divine intersection, Nate comes across an article written by a pastor in his town that he doesn't even know, who shared a similar perspective on creation. After getting to know one another, Nate had an open door to begin fulfilling the vision in a way he had not expected or thought of. It makes me think good things come to those who wait. In fact, Psalm 37, 7 says, Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for Him to act. Every conversation prompts thoughts and questions. So to expand the dialogue, I've created the Faithful Innovation Lab, a private Facebook group where we can consider a question each week. It's a place where we can just experiment. You can share your ideas, find encouragement, and hear from others who are also on the journey as we share the ways God is faithfully innovating our lives. I invite you into the conversation to explore what God may be prompting in your own life. The questions we'll consider this week are, in what ways are you waiting on a vision from God? And how are you remaining open to the ways it may come to be? If you're interested in the organization that Nate leads, visit their website at blueheronministries.org. You can find the link in the show notes at faithfulinnovation.com. Just search for Nate and the episode will come right up. Thank you for joining me today. If you enjoyed listening, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher so you'll never miss an episode. And if you or someone you know has a story to share, I encourage you to reach out to me by sending an email to hello at faithfulinnovation.com. Make it a great week and find your unique way to share the love of God with the people you encounter. Bye for now.